Good to see y'all again. I know it's been a while. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be amen and yet. <laughs> I want to bring a couple of thoughts to y'all's attention based primarily right here on Luke chapter 2. Start with verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. My mama, bless her soul, and I believe it is truly blessed. The day we were singing about, in great part, has come for her. And for many of our other ones who have departed this scene, they are enjoying that promised land or the beginnings of it. Uh, there's an old song, <laughs> I just want to stroll over heaven with you. And I, that part when he takes me by the hand and leads me into the promised land, you know, none of us are going to feel worthy of that day. And part of it's because there was a time when a Savior was born into the world to take away our sins. And of course, this was something that was promised to us before the world began. But my mama loved to sing Christmas carols. I can't stand it. Or used to couldn't. I used to couldn't. But the year before she died, she took it to a whole other level, not only dragging us out around the neighborhood to sing at everybody's, you know, door, you know, it's bad when they shut the door and they say, uh, sure, you can sing, then they shut the door and then, you know. But she decided to take it to another level. You know, she was living her best life in her last year of life. And she said, well, this year we're going to the Covington Square and we're going to dress up like Dickens characters and we're going to sing carols. And I immediately said in my heart, I ain't doing it. But you know, I went... And, and I was blessed. Not only because I realized so many people around Covington were stopped in their tracks, not only for how weird we look, but because the words we were singing. And one that stood out to me as we were singing this, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, because turns out we decided to do it again the year after she died in tradition of her, so we're doing it again this year. If any of y'all want to come up, I can give y'all the directions and the time. But you got to bring an outfit. But my sister Mary sings really well. Most of y'all are familiar with that. But she sang Oh Holy Night there on the square. And it touched me in a way I'd never really stopped to consider. And part of it was because this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to read a couple of things that really stood out to me. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared and the spirit felt its worth. Now get this. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, Hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. A thrill of hope. The weary 
world rejoices. You know, old Simeon here had been waiting for a long, long time to see the promise of the Messiah. And here, no doubt, Simeon, using my sanctified imagination here, just knowing what I know about human nature after 40 sons across the earth, I know that ain't much to some of y'all. We get beat down, don't we? I mean, we just get defeated sometimes. We get like old Jeremiah there in Lamentations. My strength and my hope is perished, cut off from the Lord. We see our depravity. We see our sinfulness. We see our failings. And hope begins to diminish. The weary world beats us down. But here when we get a glimpse of the Savior, whether it's when He is born in that lowly manger or whether when He is dying on the cross with His arms stretched out saying, it is finished. All our sins are gone. They're paid for. Or whether it's when He is on the right hand of the throne of God and He's going to say, blessed art thou. Enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. I want to take you by the hand and show you what all I purchased for you on the cross. You know, in Philippians it talks about, and in several other places, how he humbled himself. The king of kings. And I was telling somebody this the other day. If you were like most of us, and you really were a king, what would you want to do? You would want to let everybody know. I mean... If you're striving to achieve power, you want to make the biggest statement you can. Donald Trump recently released his big statement. I wasn't really impressed, but it didn't even have anything to do with his presidency. But he wanted to build up the excitement and get everybody in, in, in tune and in touch. That's, that's the human side of things. But not for Jesus. He came lowly. And he hid his greatness. He hid his greatness. But here he's brought to this man, Simeon, and the weary world. The weary world and one man began to rejoice. I have seen with mine own eyes thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. And get this, a light to lighten the Gentiles. A light to lighten the Gentiles. That's one of the great things about Christ, is it not? He is our light. When we're in darkness, when we don't know where to go, when we feel the failure, when we feel the incapacity of our own nature, and then there's Christ to give us light, to lighten the way, to show us that I am your hope of righteousness. I am the way, the truth, and the light. But I love this. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You know, to have a morning you got to have light. You got to have the sun shining forth. And I've I've seen, I'm sure y'all have too, whether it's been out on the farm or up in the mountains or wherever it is, some beautiful or at the beach, some beautiful sunrises. You know, it's just that break in the moment. It's that break and and, and it's not there and, and then it's there. This huge sun. And it just thrills. It thrills us. Because light is a wonderful thing. Because light originates from God. At least that's my belief. A weary world rejoices. I love this verse. Arise, shine, for thy light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. And then just a couple of verses later. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And the kings to the brightness of thy Rising. I love what Peter says. Oh, that's my that's my warning there. My one minute warning. I love what Peter says. You know, sometimes we don't know where to go to get that light. Peter says in Second Peter one nineteen, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn 
and the day star rise in your hearts. Jesus Christ is the new dawning. And that's what we sing about and we rejoice about. And that day is coming, my friends, and I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I'm, I'm glad we sang that because it reminded me that we do have something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. There is a thrill of hope, and the weary world, not just this time of year, but every time of the year when we come into contact with the Spirit of God and the truth of His Word, we have reason to have that thrill of hope. And we can share the good news with a weary world. So, thank you all for your kind attention. Certainly, certainly appreciate those words. Um, If you have your Bibles, let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're in the second verse. It's our third message in this series. So we're making progress, right? Uh, this may be, feel like a, a, a technical message. So it may be the only thing you remember from today is what Brother Abraham said, and if that's okay, that's all right. But uh, I'm going to try to break down the concept of sanctification to something that we can hold on to, because it's that's one of those $3 preacher words that you don't use every day, um, and it's easy for folks to use that and mean very different things. Um, so, let's get a, get, a, get a working definition. Um, if you look it up in Strong's, you could get something like, the act of consecrating for a sacred purpose. That didn't help me very much. What's well, consecrating? You could substitute consecrating for the setting apart. The act of setting apart for a sacred purpose or a holy purpose. Okay, so that's going to be kind of our working definition. The act of setting apart for a holy purpose. All right, or the act of making holy. So my initial question to you is, are we pure, holy, and clean naturally? Scripture says very much no. And if you've spent any time in this world, you know that's not to be that's not the case. Let's look um, quickly just to establish that. Romans chapter three, starting in verse ten. The question, are we pure, clean, holy? Romans three ten says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, that's a grave. Their mouth is like an open grave. Their tongues, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps, very venomous snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Y'all, that's you and that's me. Naturally. That's where we start. We aren't pure. We aren't holy. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. I was dead. Wherein in time past ye, or I can substitute this I, wherein in time past I walked according to the course of this world, that ungodly world that we live in. We walk just like it. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's another name for Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Our manner of life, that's what it means by conversation, not just the words we speak, but our entire manner of life, it looked just like the world. The children of disobedience is how it's described it. We all look like that. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the things that make us feel good, whether it please God or not. Right? The lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires, uh, fulfilling the lusts, desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, 
even as others. Let's go over to Titus. Titus chapter 1. And verse 15 starts off with saying, Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. That's where we start. Our mind, our conscience, defiled. They profess that they know God. Yeah, you can say, I know God. You can say that out loud. But in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Um, and just in case you think, well, I'm, I'm better. I'm better than so-and-so. We, y'all, we're real good at justifying ourselves. We can find somebody worse. You know, it doesn't take long to find somebody in the street. I'm better than them. That's not the standard. The standard, our God is holy. Our God is pure. Our God is all things clean. Can we meet that? Not a one of us can. Um, Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. All of us. And all our righteousness. That's our very best. You know, sometimes you have better days than others, right? You feel like you're doing better, you're serving more, something, things are best, right? In your very best days, here's what it describes it. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. Defiled, gross rags. Menstrual cloths is what it literally translates to. Gross. That's our starting point. So the question then comes, well, how is it possible for us to be made pure? The answer is by Jesus' work alone. Okay, Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus Christ has made your sanctification. He made it so that you can be set apart for a holy purpose. You can't take credit. I can't take credit. I mean, the whole preceding verse is saying, look, we're not the smartest, we're not the strongest, we're not the best. Why? Because he's going to confound the world and say, look what I took, and I've made pure and holy. Not because you're great, not because I'm great, because Jesus is great. And his work is perfect. He was made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Go again to Hebrews chapter 13. End of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Sanctify. Sanctification, the act of sanctifying. Jesus, in His death, sanctified us. It was His death. He went without the camp. He was crucified. He suffered for us. Why? He said that to sanctify the people with His own blood. It's His work. He did it. If you go back to Hebrews 2, it's got the same concept. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth... Who's the one doing the sanctifying? That's Jesus. For he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified, that's all of his children, are all of one, one family, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them his brethren. 
saying, I declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church and will sing praise unto thee. By his work, he has made you pure and he has brought you into his family. One family. He's the one who did the work, sanctifying us and we became sanctified, set apart for a pure and holy purpose. Go again to Ephesians chapter 5. John, we're doing a lot of flipping. Yes, we are. Because this is a very technical concept, and I want to look at a lot of the verses where the concept of sanctification and sanctified, sanctified show up so we can have a full understanding. Because if we just look at part, we're going to miss something. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 through 27. Admonition here, the context is talking to husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Concept is talking about husbands. How do you love your wives? Well, follow Christ's example. His love as the perfect husband for the church is that self-sacrificial love. That's not the lesson this morning. The point here is that he loved the church to sanctify and cleanse it. Why did it have to be cleansed? Because we were gross. We were defiled. We were, I mean, there's a lot of illustrations in the minor prophets that equates the church in Israel to being a a harlot, a whore, a one who departed from the Lord over and over and over again. Nasty, vile, gross. That's us. And yet, he sanctified us that he might present it a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. All right. So how is it possible for us to be set apart and made pure? Jesus' work. He gets the credit. Okay? Harder question. Does sanctification happen all at once or over time? Short answer, yes. <laughs> it's both. There's two different concepts, two different contexts um, in which it can appear. One is talking about the state of being sanctified, pure, holy in this world, um, that God takes that which was gross, you're dead in trespasses and sins, He gives you the new birth, and the indwelling Holy Spirit, He makes you a new creature. All right? This is unto you as His, as his child, He makes you a new creature. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. He's writing unto the church at Corinth. He says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called, called to be, is in italics there, called saints. Saints means holy. Been called to holiness, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Alright? He has made you holy. He's called you to be holiness. That's why your term as saints, that's not something that there's a the pecking order of saints. Saints are all of his children. You are called to be holy. Okay? Go later in Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, know, know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. These are all forms of, of sexual sin and idolatry. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He's writing to the church at Corinth. These are the believers. He's saying all this list, some were. Some of you were those things. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those are past tense. They were sanctified by Jesus Christ's work. This is, this is hard to wrap our head around. How is this possible? I'm still a sinner. I'm still living in sin. How, how can I be made pure? Well, the answer to what I told you about is, is being a new creature. 
Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what Jesus would describe to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 as the new birth. You're born again. You have a new inner man, born after the Spirit. That is pure. That is holy. That, by God's grace, desires good things, desires to serve God, desires to please God. Your old man's going to battle against that the rest of your life. But he has made you a new creature, and yet creatures created for certain things. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Finish up that um, passage after we talked about those dead works. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's find Ephesians. Here it is. Talked about where we were. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4 picks up, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins. He didn't start loving us because we cleaned ourselves up. He loved us even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us, which means to made alive. He has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath risen us up together, raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, God's given you that faith, not of your works, not of works, lest any man should boast, because you know if we had anything to do with it, we'd try and take credit and brag on it. Right? It's all of him. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So you are created a new creature in Christ Jesus. What are you created to? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay? Alright. Illustration. Guys, it's been really technical. Hard to follow. A little bit? Okay. I want you to think of the grossest, most vilest thing you can consider. Um, old folks, if you don't know what a bedpan is, think of that. Guys, if you don't know what that is, think about uh, a nasty dog bowl that feeds a junkyard dog that's been sitting outside for four years. It's covered in goop. It's nasty. It's filthy, right? Um, think of David's little little potty back there. Think of it had never been cheated cleaned, right? Think of the nastiest thing you can think of, okay? Got it? That's us naturally, okay? That's us naturally. Now, it doesn't matter how much you scrub that bedpan or that nasty dog bowl or that little kid potty chair. No matter how much you scrub it, how much you clean it, how much you bleach it, you cannot make that thing fit to sit on the dining room table and feed, you know, your mother-in-law or your governor or whoever comes, the most important person that you love and care about, and make that a dinner plate, right? When we try to achieve our own righteousness by our own works, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take a sorry dog bowl or bedpan and clean it up enough to be fit to eat off of. You ain't going to get there, okay? Here's the miracle, is that when God created you anew, when He gave you that new birth, when He made you a new man, a new creature, He changed you from that nasty bedpan into a china plate. Okay? He has now made you into something pure and holy and fit for His purpose. Now here's the struggle. Sometimes you're going to take that china plate and you're going to put it back outside and let the dog eat off of it and let it get mud on it or uses the bedpan. That's the other side of it. Yes, you have been made new unto a holy purpose, but the other part of sanctification is starting to use what He's given you for its intended purpose. Okay? Does that kind of make sense? You can't make a dog bowl into a china plate, right? You and I can't do that. No, but God can. That's what He's made in us. He has created us a new creature unto a good and holy purpose. Okay? All right. Now, this miracle is uh, often attributed to the Holy Ghost. Um, and in fact, when our, our text, we're talking about 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification 
of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come into your life, made you that new creature, and so it's, it's often referred to in those terms, the work of the, the, the Spirit. Now, we also know that Jesus is involved in this because if His work hadn't been done on the cross, because He sanctified you, he, He's involved too, but it also is attributed to God the Father. If you look over at Jude, you see the concert of the Trinity um, working all together. In Jude chapter 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Who are they sanctified by? God the Father. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost all involved in your sanctification, the setting apart and making holy. Let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 3, again talking about the Holy Spirit, it says, We are bound to give thanks to God for you always, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Okay? So that's, that's one context. The context of that God, by Jesus' work, has made you pure, a new creature. That's something that you are pure. There is another context, as we talked about, and briefly alluded to, of how do we start using our, our sanctified form, that our pureness that we've been given, that new creature in His glory. Okay? And in that context, you can think about sanctification as, as the Lord's enabling grace to be able to purge off those things that we... We're doing in the old old life, right? Those old dead works, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, begin to purge that off and begin to do things that serve God, that glorify God. It's not just a standard of, is this a sin? Let me see the Bible. I want to see how close I can get to that without crossing the line. That's, that's, the, that's not our attitude. Our attitude shifts to, is what I'm doing, thinking, desiring, does it glorify God? Does it fulfill the purpose that I've been created to? Because you're, you're created to glorify God, right? What better good work can you do other than glorify God? Does it glorify God? If it does, okay. If it doesn't, leave it alone. Run away from it. Okay? It's not how close can I get to that. It's flee from it. Okay? So this is the example of if you've, you're now, you've got your china plate. Now it's deciding... This is created for a certain purpose. It's not to go out and play, make mud pies and feed the dog or use as a bedpan or a little potty or whatever. Just think of your gross illustrations of that old life. It's created for a high purpose, right? A noble purpose. One that has glory and honor associated with it because of what it's being used for, okay? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 19 and you can see where I've got this illustration from as I'm trying to um, flesh out this particular text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, depart from iniquity, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. Continue on. Pure heart. Okay, and you can go back and see in verses 14 through 16 the rest of the context about all the different ways this iniquity comes into play. But here you've got an individual. This is not saying that God's going to purge it, or the Holy Ghost, or Jesus. If a man purge himself from these, you and I have accountability for how we use what God has given us. You cannot make yourself pure and holy in God's eyes. That's completely of God. But now that you've been born again, a new creature created under good works, 
You have control over your daily life, right? And how we live our life and what we do. I want to be fit to be used in my Lord's service. Well, there's some things I, I can't do and be fit for it, right? If I, as a preacher, were engaging in some vile activities, I believe the Lord would take me out of this pulpit. Right? I believe that's why I wasn't called to preach until I was. Because I hadn't purged those things. I had one, I mean, ask Megan, I'd talked about for several years before um, anything really got going, well, maybe, maybe I'm called to preach. She said, well, why don't you speak on this Sunday night? And I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it once. And we had an opportunity for the men to speak at my home church on fifth Sunday nights. I didn't do it. Like for the whole year, she said, you know, try every fifth Sunday night, see what happens. I didn't do it once. And I think the Lord was keeping me out of a position of talking about Him from a... I mean, this is a... There's gravity associated with being up here. Because my house wasn't in order. My life wasn't in order. I had not purged myself of the things in order to be fit for His use. Yet, Now, was I pure and holy in His eyes by Jesus' work? Yes. Had I let go of the things in my life that I still enjoyed doing that didn't glorify God? No. Am I there perfectly now? <laughs> no. This is a work in progress. This is, for the rest of our life, we got that under construction sign. Okay? But when you're born again, you're described as being a babe in Christ. Okay? Y'all, we don't want to die babes in Christ. Okay? If we want to be fit and ready for the master service, right? Little Elizabeth's over there. We need, a, we need a new sidewalk put in, right? Can I assign her that? No! Right? She's a babe. She can't lift the shovel. She can't follow directions very well. I don't think she can walk yet. Right? There's some growing up that's got to be done before she can put, put her on sidewalk detail. Right? Do y'all want to be used in your Lord's service? Y'all, yes. we got we got to grow. We got to grow up, growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom, growing in love, growing in grace, growing in discernment. Right? The man purged purge himself. Purging is, is one aspect of it. Letting go of the old. Well, what are you going to replace it with? Right? What are the things that we're doing in his instead? If you go to 1 Thessalonians, you have a very similar illustration here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 3. says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is talking about you using that dinner plate appropriately. Even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. And that's a broad category that encompasses all manner of sexual sin. Whether that's looking at something you ought not on the computer, or just, you understand. Broad category. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, it's referring to your body, in sanctification, holiness, and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, that's passionately coveting forbidden things. Even as the Gentiles, that's what the world wants, the lust of the flesh, pride of the eyes, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and also testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. All right, you want to know what that Greek word holiness is? The same word that we get sanctification from. Same word. It's called us unto holiness, pureness. Okay. So, using our dinner plate appropriately, right? using it for His glory. All right. So, how do we how do we do that? How do we how do we learn what that looks like? By His Word, John chapter seventeen, verse fourteen. This is Jesus praying to the Father right before He's going to be arrested. He's praying for His disciples and for those who believe down through time. It says, "I have given them Thy Word." And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou would take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Lord can sanctify you and teach you how to use that holy thing that he's given you through his word. 
through His truth. Is it important for you to be in it? Absolutely. Is it important for you to be diligently in it? Not just the superficial check the box, I read my five minutes or my one verse or flip it open and... Right? This is for your good and for His glory. It's worthy of your time. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 23... We also see that God the Father is actively involved in sanctifying us in the course of our life. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. He gives a, a long list of, of good things to do. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. It means test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Not everything you hear is going to be good. Test it all. See what matches up with Scripture. Hold on to the good part. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and that means all forms of evil. Leave it alone. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now, holy means completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When will God sanctify us wholly in this context? Either when we're... Well, we're going to be looking at Christ. (laughs) Either we're dead (laughs) or Christ has come back. That's when that path is complete. That's when we're tired. So we need the Lord's grace. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. We need Him to teach us His Word, and He does. Um, But there there is some personal responsibility associated for you and I in how we use what God's given us. Okay? We should look and act and care about the things that Jesus says that He cares about. He says, if you love Me, keep My commandments. Well, if you profess that you love the Lord, you need to know what He cares about. What are His commandments? Well, one is that you love one another, even as He loved you. Right? That's a very high standard. That's not something you can just pick and choose from. Okay. Now, to make it even more complicated, are these the only contexts in which the word sanctify appears? No. I found at least two others, and we'll, we'll look just real briefly. Um, one's in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the context of this is you are suffering persecution because you're serving God. You're doing the right thing, and you're having lumps for it. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So if we're setting apart something as pure and holy, that's in my mind and in my heart recognizing God is pure, God is holy, God is worth even going through this hard thing for me to serve Him. Now that concept appeared back in the Lord's model prayer. Luke chapter 11. We may not recognize it from some of the archaic language, but Luke chapter 11 and in verse 2 says, When ye pray, say, Our Father which is in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. I don't use that in day-to-day vernacular. It means holy. Holy be thy name. I remember Isaiah had a vision of the throne room of God. Right? Isaiah chapter 6. Let's go look at it. Isaiah 6. And there are creatures, celestial creatures that are around. And that's what they're saying over and over again. And the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, 1. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain He covered His face, with twain He covered His feet, and with twain He did fly. So two, two, and two. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the voice and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If we stop there, that would just be scary. Right? If on our uncleanness we came before the Lord, Woe is me, I'm undone. He is that holy. 
and not righteous. And it blows our minds. We cannot put Him high enough in our mind and our heart to get close to what He actually is. But it doesn't stop there. It says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. Isaiah recognized that he was unclean. Here there's an intervention. He's made clean. His iniquity is put away. And then what does he say? The Lord says, Whom shall I send, and whom shall I, who shall go for us? And Isaiah pops up and says, Here am I. Send me. The Lord cleansed him. The Lord made him holy. He knew he was unclean. The Lord made him clean. And then he said, Who am I going to send? And he volunteers. The Lord prepared him. He's now fit for the Master's use. He's ready and he's volunteering. The Lord is holy. So, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Same concept. Remind yourself that God is holy. He's not your buddy. Right? He's not anybody down here. He is a holy, perfect, righteous God. Okay? That's what it means. To set apart as holy. You can't make Him any more holy. Right? Now this is... Um, Similar to another context, and this, this shows up mostly in the Old Testament. It's when they took certain objects or things and set them apart as holy. There were certain um, golden uh, cups and spoons and snuffers, all the things that they had to do with the Old Testament temple. Those were called hallowed things. They were only to be used for that purpose. You couldn't take that out and use it you know, in just a common, ordinary setting. Right? There's an example in Daniel chapter um, 5. I won't turn to it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's most likely grandson, who has taken, you know, Israel's, uh, Judah's gone into captivity, the temple's been destroyed, the stuff, those golden things, have been taken to Babylon. Okay? Now you're years down the road, Nebuchadnezzar's died, and we've got a couple generations down. He takes that holy stuff, the, uh, the golden plates and bowls and things, and they use it for a feast. Okay? They're having a party, they're drinking out of them. He and his wives and all his buddies and captains. And that's when you have the Lord who appears with partial form of a hand writing on the wall of a mani, mani, tekum. You have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting. And that night, he died. That's when the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon. The night that he chose to misuse the Lord's holy stuff. Okay? So that's another context. And that, that idea appears in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 4 and 4 through 5. First Timothy 4, 4 through 5. And the context in here is um, there are going to be people who come and teach false doctrine, some um, saying, well, you can't marry anybody, it's forbidden. Or you can't eat in certain things. Um, to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and with prayer. Okay? So it's, it's made pure. Um, and so the, the short takeaway from that is don't let anyone come to you and say, well, the Bible says you're not allowed to eat that. Right? The dietary restrictions that apply to the, the Jews in the Old Testament don't apply to you. It's been sanctified. It's been made pure. It's fine. Fine to eat. Okay? All right. I know this was technical. Ephesians 4 and 1. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You have been called out of darkness into life. You have been called out of death into life. You have been called to be a saint. A saint is holy. You have a job in glorifying your Heavenly Father that you have been called to. And so while He has sanctified us and made us pure and made us a new creature, we need to walk worthy of that calling. We need to govern ourselves in the way that will glorify Him. It's not something to be given just a little bit of time or focus. This is something that requires thought and study and intentionality and diligence. Developing good habits is not just going to happen overnight. Because you got a lot of old bad ones. 
And they take a lot of effort to overcome. But with every temptation that you struggle with, Scripture says that the Lord has prepared a door of escape for you. When He set you free, gave you that new birth, He released you of your bondage to sin. It's no longer the master over you. Beforehand, you didn't even know you were a slave. You just, I'm just doing what I want to do. Right? Now you're free. And so you were able to walk away from temptations. Will you do that every time? Nope. And neither will I. And I'm glad the Lord's grace is big enough for that too. And that every day we can wake up and, Lord, I confess I, I failed yesterday. Here, here, and here, and here. Lord, I've been convicted by Your Word that I haven't done that. Lord, give me the strength, give me the wisdom as I'm committing to try to serve You better today. Walk worthy of the vocation with You've been called. He's purified us and created us unto good works to glorify Him. Let's walk in a manner that does or strive to until that day when we see Him face to face and we get to lay aside all the sin and all the baggage and everything that hindered us now. Even when we know the right thing to do, we struggle to do it. And we know what the wrong things do. We struggle not to do it. But there's going to be a day when all that's going to go aside and we'll be able to worship and glorify and praise God without hindrance, without fear, Without wondering, will anybody think of me if I'm weird for, for, for saying hallelujah in church? It's okay. Right? You won't have to worry about any of that. That's what we're looking forward to. But until then, let us walk worthy of the location which we have called. Thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing? <laughs>